We are learning Daf Chaf Aleph, and we were speaking about yesterday's Daf, the Trumas Hadeshen. Trumas Hadeshen can be done anytime during the night, but during the Regalim, it was done at the, at the end of the first watch of the evening because there was such a large crowd of people who would come uh, who were all packed into the Azara at the time of the Kriya Segever that we wanted to do it earlier. So now the Gemara is going to talk about some of the miracles uh, which occurred. Despite the fact that there were such large crowds in the base of Mikdash, the Gemara says, Amar of Yehuda, Amar Rav, about five lines down, Chafal from Rav, Amar of Yehuda, Amar Rav, Bishashi Yisrael, Olin L'Regal, the time when all the people would be Ola L'Regal. So we're talking about Yom Kippur specifically, or the other Regalim, so Omdim Tzifufin, they would be very tightly uh, packed together. There wasn't so much room. Mishachvim, yeah, when they were bowing, Ravachim, there was somehow enough space. So on Yom Kippur, this makes sense that everybody bowed. We know that there was a din hishdachava, a din of bowing Yom Kippur. Whenever the Kohen Gadol would, would say the Shem HaMaforosh, the name of Hashem, everybody had, there was a din of bowing. We, we, we replicate that on Yom Kippur and Davening. So the miracle occurred, and then suddenly there was enough, there was enough room. Um, Rashi also says further that, 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 that at the time when they would do Vidoy, Somehow it would occur that there was four amas of space between each person so that um, so that no one would hear each other's vidoy, and that was a big miracle. They used to say the vidoy while they were bowing down. The question is if this has anything to only do with Yom Kippur that they were bowing, because this also happened on the Regalim. It's not that clear if there was a din of bowing bachal on the Regalim. At any rate, so even though they were they were crowded, um, there was there were big crowds, but still when they bowed, there was enough space. They, they, there were such big crowds that it went all the way into the 11 amas of space behind the Kodesh HaKadoshim. There was usually all the way in the west behind that the, the crowds were so big that they had to go all the way there. So the Gemara says, Mike Amar, what does he mean to say? Meaning, if the miracle was that there was enough space to bow, so what does it mean that they're sticking into the 11 amas space behind the Kodesh HaKadoshim? So the Gemara answers, this is what Rav is saying, even though there was such a big crowd, so many Jews that were there that they stuck all the way into even the 11 Amas behind the Kodesh HaKadoshim when they were standing, still, and they were standing crowded together, but still, when they actually went to bow, then they would bow and there was somehow enough space. The Gemara continues, This is one of ten miracles which occurred in the times of the base of Mikdash. What were the Nisim? It says in the Mishnah, There were ten different Nisim. This is the Mishnah Perkeyavos. What were the Nisim that took place in the base of Mikdash? There was never a woman who miscarried from the smell of the meat. In other words, the smell... Uh, it's a good smell when you see meat is roasting. It smells amazing. And that can have bring a woman, a pregnant woman, such a desire to eat it that somehow it can bring about miscarriage. The Gemara talks about this. And also later on in the Masechta, how sometimes the desires that the pregnant women feel can cause them to miscarry. But we're saying it was in Nase that, that such an occurrence never occurred, uh, never occurred. A woman never miscarried because of the desire that she smelled from smelling the, the meat of the kachim, which was roasting. Also, it never happened that the meat spoiled. And that was big chiddush, because if you think about it, some of the, the meat from Karbanos, there was a while that it sat out, specific, specifically the shlamim, which can be eaten for two full days, and there's no refrigeration, so that was, that's a novelty that it never, ever uh, spoiled. There was never a fly which was seen in the place where they, where they chopped up the meat, in the butcher. The, the butcher's place was the northern part of the Azara, where they would butcher them. There were tables that were set up, and they would chop up the meat. So there was never a, a fly that was there. And the concept of not having a fly is that it's that the, in the place of the Shekhinah, you're never going to have um, even flies which would be present. But look, you're a carry the Kohen Gadol Yom Kippurim. There was never carry to the, Yom, to, to the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur. That would disqualify the Kohen Gadol. And even though we made, you know, all of these things, how... Um, 
to protect the Kohen Gadol from seeing carriers. We've learned about, but still the bottom line is, the Gemara is telling us here, the Mishnah says, that there was an ace and it never even really was necessary. There was never a psul inside of the Omer. The carbon Omer, the barley, that's brought on the second day of Pesach. So, so there was never a... Um, there was never a psul. And the reason why it was important there wasn't a psul is because you have to cut the grain the night before. That's the halacha. So it's very important that nothing goes wrong in the carbon. So there's nothing should become disqualified and then the rest of the grain can be eaten throughout Israel. So it was a nice not it was a nice miracle that which occurred. There was never a psul in the omer. Everything always went perfectly. It was the same thing with the Shalakam. The the loaves have to be baked before Yantiv. The baking didn't it doesn't override Yantiv. So if they ever would become pasal and yantif, it would be it would be messed up. There would be no hakrava the shteilacham and shavuah. So again, in nice occurred that nothing ever went wrong in the shteilacham or the lacham apanim, lacham apanim, which is each shabbos. And again, if there was something would go wrong, then the the shulchan would be empty of lacham apanim till the next shabbos because that's the next time that's the next man that is possible that you can set up the shulchan. You can only set up the shulchan with the bread. The aricha of the shulchan can only be done. Uh, on Shabbos. So if something would have gone wrong, then the, the Shulchan would have been a week without the bread. So again, the miracle occurred, not that never happened. Another miracle, only two of them, that even though the crowd was all stood crowded together, still they had enough space when they bowed. There was never a snake or a scorpion that hurt anybody in Yerushalayim. It seems that there definitely were some of these things present in the Middle Eastern climate in Yerushalayim, but they never hurt anybody. And another miracle, Nobody ever said that this place is no good, it's too cramped for me to stay overnight in Yerushalayim. There's a mitzvah also to stay overnight in Yerushalayim after a person brings a carbon. There's a mitzvah to stay over. So the, the accommodations, the living quarters in Yerushalayam, theoretically, must have been very cramped and things that might, might not have been so good. But it was a miracle that somehow there was always enough space and nobody complained, nobody complained about it. The bad Jewish joke is that... Uh, doesn't say there was enough space. The miracle was that nobody complained about it. It's an interesting that the, the Mishnah does say it that way. The Gemara asks, The Tana started, he's telling us about things, the miracles that happened in the base of Mikdash, but to some of them at the end, in the list, are things that happened in Yerushalayim. That's nothing to do with the base of Mikdash particularly. So is it a list of things that miracles that occurred in the base of Mikdash? Or is it a list of miracles which occurred in Yerushalayim? So the Gemara answer is, You're right, there were another two miracles that were missing here. The two that were Yerushalayim we should take out. And we should replace them with two more miracles that occurred in the base of Mikdash. Tanya says in the Baruch, never rain never put out the fire which was produced by the wood on the Mizbeach. So know that you had a fire and it was open, right? The Azar was totally open. So how come if it rained, it wouldn't extinguish the fire and mess everything up? So that was a miracle that that never happened. And another miracle about the smoke. The smoke from the Mizbeach, even if all the winds in the world would come and blow, it doesn't move from its place. No matter how the strength of the wind, it couldn't remove the smoke. And so therefore, and the purpose of this miracle is that it kept the air clear. You know, you would have all the smoke that was rising. So theoretically, that might be, you know, blowing the smoke all over the whole Azar might not be pleasant. And the miracle which occurred is that it never happened. It would never budge from its place. And it was very pleasant to be inside Yerushalayim, inside the Azar. Okay, good. So we replaced two more. So now the Gemara has another question. There's no more miracles. We just lift, listed 10. There's no more than 10 miracles in the base of Mikdash. Vatanya, Shmaya, said of Brisa, and Kalbano, that the shards from the broken Klicharas, the earthenware Kalim, which are broken, were absorbed into their place. So let's just give a little bit of background here. If a person cooks, uh, the, the, the buzzer of Kachim in a pot, so the Torah says it has to be Kashrut because the absorptions will become Nosar. 
and, uh, and, and then you can't use it again. You have to kosher it. So if it's metals, you kosher it, purging water, boiling water, you purge it by boiling, boiling water, so on and so forth. But cheres, earthenware cannot be kosher. And the Torah actually says that the only solution is to break them. So after they're broken, what happens with them? What it would be disgusting if, you know, the azar was just uh, like mounds of shards of broken cheres lying all over the place. So it was a miracle that it maintained the, the dignity of the, of the azara, that they were magically just absorbed in their place into the ground. If I'm Rabbi, Abai further said, more of a note, so the crop and the feathers from a carbon ola. So these things were removed from the bird. They weren't burned on the Mizbech. They were thrown, the Pasuk says, that after you peel them away, the crop and the feathers are supposed to be thrown onto the ground next to the Mizbech. But, and it's the same place where the Trumas Adeshin goes. And the ash that was taken off the Mizbech, the ash from the Menorah, all these things were swallowed into their place, meaning they were all taken, cleaned, and then they were put next to the outer Mizbech, and then there was an amazing thing that they were that they were absorbed into the ground. It's interesting that Abai doesn't say that the ash that was taken, the main trumas adeshin, the ash taken off the outer mizbech was absorbed into the ground. Tosso speaks about that point. At any rate, those are all more miracles. The Gemara answers tlas psule tlas In the Mishnah, there were three miracles that were essentially one that nothing ever became possible. We mentioned three things: the Omer, the Shalachim, and Lachim upon him. So we were counting those as three, but rather Chashvin and Bachal. Why don't you just count them as one miracle? So apik trace. So we can subtract two different miracles. From the ten, the idol tray, and therefore we can put in the two new miracles from Rishmai and Abai. Those, those last two miracles about the shards of the earthenware kalim being swallowed, and the other miracle about the uh, the crop and the feathers uh, being being all absorbed into the ground. Says the Gemari Hachi, if you're saying that similar miracles you count as one, so blue and Amitrayava. So those two miracles about things absorbed are Rishmai and Abai, also Chashun and You can also consider them one. So now we're missing one, meaning. Why, 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 if we're counting all the, the nisim that there was no psulim because they're similar, we're counting them as one. So we should count the nisim of things being absorbed, like the shivrei klicharas or the, um, or the, all, all the, the ash or the maravanot. So we should also count those as one. So now we're going to be missing one. So the Mar says, you know what? Really, we were right for saying similar miracles should be counted as one. I, we're going to be missing one. The answer is, there's still another one that can be added. It was a big miracle with Siluko Kisiduro. It was removed from the table. It was fresh and warm, just like the way when it was put onto the Shabbos, when it was put onto the table the previous Shabbos. And Amar, Lasum Lechem we have the pasuk here in in Shmuel that 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 they put the bread in, that that's hot on the day it's taken off, and we're coming to say that even though it's, it was on the shulchan the whole the whole week, it was still somehow miraculously fresh and warm the next Shabbos. So the Gemara asks, "Vesu leka? Were there no other miracles in the base of Mikdash?" Fahamer, I believe, I believe he said, The following thing is the tradition that we have. Malcolm Aaron Inominamida that the space of the Aaron inside the Kodash Kadashim didn't take up any space. And the reason we know this is a miracle is because the Kodash Kadashim was only twenty Amma square. And the Aaron, the Aaron definitely had size. It was two and a half Amma by one and a half Amma. It went in the middle. So if you would measure from the edge of the Aaron to the walls, it shouldn't be ten Amas. But that wasn't the case. If you would measure from the edge of the of the of the of the walls of the Aaron to the to the walls of the Kodesh Hakadoshim, miraculously somehow it was a full ten amos of empty space. It must be that the Makom of the Aron didn't take up any space. Says the Gemara, another miracle of Amravan Rishmol Kruvim Neisayov, and the Kruvim stood with the Neis. So in order to understand this, we have to understand that besides with the Kruvim of Moshe, the golden ones that were on top of it, there was also Shlomo Hamelch made two Kruvim made of wood, and he put them next to the Aron. And it says in the pasuk of Malachim that the wings of the Kruvim were five amos. So. From the two wingtips to each other was ten amos, and there were two of them. 
So that means that if you measure all the outstretched wings of the two kruvim that are next to each other, it should be 20 amos. The issue here is, is that the, how in the world is that going to work? Where, how, what about the body of the kruvim? If you're just measuring from the wings, and that's going to take up the full 20 amos, what's going to be with the body, with the body of, the, of the kruvim? These are, again, the kruvim that Shlomo is making. If the whole thing is only 20, by, 20 square amos and there's 20 long and not measuring the bodies, then what's going to be with the bodies? It must be that the bodies of the kruvim of Shlomo somehow didn't take up any space. So these are more miracles. So why don't we include these? So the, my answer is, we would count miracles that you could see outside the Azar that we could publicize. We're not going to consider miracles which were only uh, visible on the inside and that people, they weren't public. Most of the time, right, people weren't, wouldn't be able to observe and to see these miracles, so therefore we don't count them. Says the Gemara, if that's a true point, that's not something that people can generally see. It's something that's only on the Shulchan. So how in the world uh, are we counting that? How in the world are we counting that as one of the Nisa? So the Gemara answers, Lacham Apanim Nisa the Barayhu. It's not true. The Nisa of the Lacham Apanim was something that was publicized. What's the meaning of the Pasuk that you put the Lacham Apanim on the Shulchan, which is Tahar? What does it mean on Tahar? The word pure implies that the Shulchan theoretically could be Makabal Tumah. It sounds like the Pasuk is saying only put down the Lacham Apanim if the Shulchan is Tahar. The implication is that there is a theoretical possibility for the Shulchan to become Tameh. How in the world could it become Tameh? Top of the Ahmed Bey's Kli Eitzah Sodenachazu. It's a wooden Kli that's, that's made to just stay in place. Vachol Kli Eitzah Sodenachazu Makabal Tumah. Any wooden Kli, which is designated specifically to be put in, stay in place, is not Makabal Tumah. Vachol Tumah Tumah. And it can be a barrier against Tumah. We learn this from the Psukim. Where it says, speaks about a, a wooden utensil, then it says, oh, sack. So we make a hackish, which is just like the sack, which is makabal toma, something which is moved around. So to a wooden kli, it's only makabal toma if it can be moved around. But if something is a kli eight, which is just made to stay in one place, so it's, it's, so, so, so it's unsusceptible to toma. So what in the world is going on? Why would the Torah emphasize that you put the bread only on the shulchan when it's tar, if there's no possibilities that are ever, ever becoming tameh? Alam it must teach us that they actually sometimes used to move the shulchan. When would they move the shulchan? They used to lift up the shulchan for the oli regalim. They would come on Yantif and they would want to show the lachma upon him bread to everybody to publicize the miracle and show everybody that it was warm and hot. For Omer they would say to them, Look how beloved you are in front of Hashem. She should look the lachma upon him is just as fresh and warm. And they removed it off the shulchan just like the way when it was arranged the previous Shabbos. So it comes out that they would that they would move the lachma upon him, they would move the shulchan. That's why now we understand that the shulchan could theoretically become tummy, and that's why the Torah is highlighting that you can only put the bread down when the shulchan is tahar. And now though we understand why that's one of the miracles, even though we're saying that we don't save miracles which weren't publicized, miracles that could only be seen in the inside but not the outside. Those miracles are not counted, but we still do include the miracle of the Lachman because that was a publicized miracle as they would carry it out during the times of the Regal. Okay, so now the Gemara now objects more. Are there no more miracles? There's no more. He planted all sorts of fruit trees made of gold. With some sort of golden trees. I've seen Pharaoh saying, Bismanam, a miracle happened, and they would make their fruits in their times. When the wind would blow, the fruits would come and come off, and the Kohanim used to get really rich off of this gold. It says its fruits will rustle like that of the Levanon. Levanon is the base of Mikdash. So it's saying that the fruit, that the, what we're saying here in the Pazak can tell them is that the fruit of our itself should grow so much and rustle like the wind blows in it, just like the fruit in the base of Mikdash. So we see, like, there was fruit in the base of Mikdash, which obviously isn't regular fruit trees. It's actually also to plant trees in the base of Mikdash. Must be this was golden 
these golden trees. As soon as the Gaim came in to the to the to Hazar to destroy the base of Mikdash, the trees right away shriveled up. says that the, it, 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 it just was totally destroyed. The flowers of Levanon, again, at the base of Mikdash, were decimated. In the future, what's going to be, HaKadosh Baruch will bring back the trees. It says here, in the Pasuk, it's going to blossom very much. It's going to rejoice. Eventually, the land of Levanon will be given. And we look at this Pasuk in Yeshaya, saying that eventually it's going to come back. So why didn't the Tana include these miracles? So the Gemara answers, The miracles are not talking about things that were permanently there. The trees, which is always there, we don't count them. We only talk about miracles that happened and then stopped, happened and then stopped, happened and then stopped, like things that we're talking about, just par- things that were part of the furniture, so to speak, that we don't talk about. So the Gemara explains, once we're saying this, so that explains for the Aaron and the Kruvim as well. Earlier we said the reason we didn't count about the nays of the Aaron and the Kruvim is because they weren't publicized. People didn't see it. It was only inside the court. Inside the Kodesh Hakadoshim. Now we can answer that the reason why we don't count it is because it was a nase, which was Kavu. An easy dekvi, Ninu, since it was a fixed permanent thing, it didn't come and go, so therefore we didn't count them in the number of 10. Okay, so now we go and we, we, we're good that with the number 10, now the Gemara analyzes some of the ones that we said. Amar Ma'arach, we speak about the smoke. Was there ever smoke that came? We said that it was self contained, it didn't blow. But the Gemara is challenging whether it really existed at all. Vatani says in a Brisa, there are five things that were said about the fire. On the Mizbeach, Rutsakari used to crouch in the shape of a lion. As when Shlomo HaMelech made it, there was a fire that came down from Shemaim, and it was there, and it was shaped like a crouching lion. Powerful thing. Ubarak Achama was clear like the sun, it had actual substance, meaning the flames themselves had actual substance. It was able to uh, consume things which were moist just like they were dry, meaning it wasn't, uh, it turned everything into charcoal like just like it did to wood. It didn't make a difference. Moist, dry, it was all the same. It didn't make any smoke. So if it didn't make any smoke, why are we talking about a nace that the smoke didn't blow? There was no smoke at all. So the Gemara answer is no. When do we say that, that, that the, 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 the made smoke? We're talking about the fire that the regular people made. The Tanya, like it says in the Bible, there's a mitzvah for the Kohanim to put the wood and make the fire, even though, and we darshan from that, what that's coming to say is, even though fire comes down, on Mizbeach from Shemayim, you have this supernatural fire coming from Shemayim, still mitzvah lavim and There's still mitzvah to bring the fire from regular um, earth stuff and put it on the Mizbeach. So this is the regular fire that the Kohanim made. This did produce smoke. And that was a nace that the, that the smoke didn't blow. And then we're saying there's another thing that the, there was another thing that there was a, a fire that came from Shemayim. Okay, continues the Gemara Ruvuzakari. We just said that the fire was shaped like a crouching lion. But Tanya says in the Brayis, He says, "I saw the fire and used to crouch like a dog." So the Gemara says, "Lo kasha." Can make this reason? When the first Brayis we're talking about the lion, the lion was the first base of Mikdash. The dog was the second base of Mikdash. Says the Gemara Mikdash in Miava. But was there a fire at all, Menashemaim, in the second base of Mikdash? We're saying that it was in the shape of a the the fire Menashemaim in the second base of Mikdash was in the shape of a dog. But was there any fire Menashemaim? It says, Hashem says, I want it, and I'll be honored. So usually, there's a hay at the end, but here there's a hay that's missing. 
So what's going on is Majlum Bakhosare, why is Mazak Nice? So we say Elacham Yusha Devarim. These are the five it's alluding to the five things. The the five discrepancies between the first and second base of Mikdash. There were five missing things. So the Ikavda, the Hashem will be honored in the second base of Mikdash, was missing the hay, because it was missing five things. What was it missing? Elohim. Aaron had no Aaron, Kaparat Sukruvim, Aish, the fire from Shemaim, Shechina. There was no actual Shechina. Not so clear what it means that there wasn't a shechina in the second base of mikdash. Um, actually, it's interesting. The Rambam says uh, black and white that there was. The Rambam says that the reason why today there's still kedusha is because the shechina is still there. Ruach Hakodesh. We didn't. They didn't have prophecy that happened in the beginning of the of the the second base of mikdash that the nevuah ended. Urim betumim. They didn't have the urim betumim. So that, between the choshen, they didn't have that because you needed to have the Ruach HaKodesh in order to access it. It's like a form of nevuah. So if there was no, even though the Kongal wore the choshen. But the Urim Vitumim was no longer, um, it was no longer inside of it. Some people say that it was there, but it didn't function. So it's a question of whether it was there or it didn't function. But either way, we see that there were five things that were missing in the second base of Mikdash. One of them was the fire from Shemaim. So if it wasn't there at all, so what are we saying that the fire shaped like a dog was the fire from the second base of Mikdash? If there was no fire at all, so the more answer is Amri in Mahavahav. Really, there was a fire. Siula Messiah. It just didn't, it didn't help to eat anything. So there was fire that came down from the Shemaim. But in in the second base of Mikdash as well, but in unlike the first base of Mikdash, where the fire would eat everything there, and it was really never necessary to add much to it, and the corner would just add two logs just to be kind of the mitzvah. In the second base of Mikdash, the the fire that came down in the didn't burn the carbonos, and the, and the ordinary fire actually had to be fueled all the time to make sure that it was going to to consume the carbonos that were put there. Continues the Gemara Shisha Yishu saying there are six different types of fire. Yishu Chaz Ve'Enoshosa, type of fire that eats but doesn't drink. We'll describe what this means. Yishu Chaz Ve'Enoshosa is a type that drinks but doesn't eat. Yishu Chaz Ve'Enoshosa is a type of fire that eats and drinks. Yishu Chalas Lachem Kivishin is a type of fire that can consume things that are moist, just like dry. Yishu Chalas there's a fire that pushes away fire. Yishu Chalas Ashen, there's a type of fire which eats other fire. So now we go three of these six things. What are they referring to? Yishu Chalas Ve'Enoshosa, a fire that eats and not drinks. Hadidan, that's a normal fire. What does that mean? It eats means that it consumes solids, but liquids it doesn't consume. Fire doesn't consume liquids. Shows of Enochals, it drinks but doesn't eat the hulin. That's talking about the fever of sick people. The fever makes them thirsty, but it takes away their appetite. They're not hungry. So that's a type of fire which makes which drinks which drinks but doesn't eat. Ochals, which shows it eats and drinks the Elio. That's the fire of Elio. It licked up the water that was there. So this is the case in the, in the Navi, in the, in the Book of Malachim, when Elio challenges the Nevi'ah Baal, and they had a showdown about it. Um, but when he went to make the carbon, there was so much water that the water was in the trench, and then he called out to Hashem, the whole thing, and then the fire came down and it licked up the water. So we see that the water in the times of Elio was licked up by the fire, so that's a different dimension of a fire that drinks as well. The fire that consumes moist things and dry things is the fire of the base of Mikdash. The fire that pushes away fire to Gavriel. This is the fire of Gavriel. The Gemara tells us that when Nebuchadnezzar put Hanayim Shavazar into the uh, furnace, Hashem sent Gavriel to save them by, by fighting the fire with his own fire. So somehow the fire pushed away the fire. The is a fire that eats fire. That's the fire of the He put his finger between them and it consumed them. The Gemara is talking about when there was angels that were arguing against against Hashem creating Adam, so Hashem put his finger among them and ate them. So we see that the fire of, of, of the Shekhinah ate the angels. Now the angels are fire. So we see that Hashem's fire can actually eat fire. Okay, great. So those are the different forms, all the different types of fire. Now we go back to the Mishnah. We said that the smoke of the 
of the uh, that comes from the Maracha, all the winds in the world wouldn't be able to move it. So the Gemara says, and the night that follows, the last day of the Chag, meaning the night after Shemini Atzeres, everyone would look at the column of smoke that was coming out of the Mizbech. Note the cloud itself, and if it was drifting toward the north, which means that the southern wind, wind was strong, and the poor people would be happy, but the wealthy people would not be happy. Why? Because if there's a, a strong southern winds, that's an indication of what's going to come. It means that the coming year's rains were going to be a lot, too much, and the produce that's in the storehouses are, is going to rot. Meaning, if the wind is blowing from the south and there's too much rain, so produce isn't going to keep well, it's not going to store well if there's so much rain because there's so much humidity that's around. So, so it's going to rot a little bit quicker. So what happened would be all the people selling their stuff would have to drop their prices because they have to sell so much greater amounts of stuff before it spoils. So for the poor people, they're going to be very happy. But the wealthy people are not. Not the Kalabi Darum, but if the, the wind is coming from the north, so it's pushing the smoke towards the south, so then Aniyam Atim and Balabatim is just the opposite. Poor people would be sad, and the Balabatim would be happy. That's going to show you the wind from the north shows you that there's not going to be so much rain. And therefore the produce is going to be kept very well in the storehouse. And the infrequent winds is going to make it that it's going to be very dry. It's going to stay fresh in the storehouse for a long time. And the merchants can withhold the stuff until they get the prices to raise, and they're going to get bigger profits. And again, it's going to be hard for the poor people. If not the Klapi Mizrach, if it's drifting toward the east, so then everybody's happy because if the wind is from the west, and right, the smoke is drifting toward the east, the wind is from the west, that's perfect amount of rain. It's just enough rain to make sure that there's enough rain, but the stuff that's stored is not going to tarry quickly. So that's going to be good prices, and everybody's happy with that. Clapping Mara, if the smoke is going towards the west, which means an eastern wind, how call it say from everybody is sad because it, the winds from the east, Rashi says, they're hot, they're dry. It's going to be a shortage and in inflated prices. That's not something that anybody's happy with. At any rate, what do we see from here? We see that the smoke. From, from, from coming from the Mizbeach would move in the wind. I thought we said a miracle occurred that it didn't move. So the more answer is, it's weighed back and forth like a palm tree, but it wouldn't actually be dispersed. Just like a palm tree waves back and forth, but it doesn't actually go anywhere. So too, that's what this is like. The, the, the wind would just sway back and forth in its place, but it wouldn't actually be, be dispersed into the general Azar. Okay, so what did we just come out? We just came out that the wind from the west is good, and wind from the east is bad. So the Gemara says, Amar Mar, Klapim is Okolot Smechem, Klapim Mar, Okolot Sevim. If the smoke was drifting from the east, everyone would be happy because a western wind is good. But if the smoke was drifting toward the west, everyone was sad because an eastern wind is bad. Or a minute, we see the opposite. It says, Mizrachos Olam, the Olam Yafa, that a wind from the east is always good. Marav is Olam Kasha, the wind from the west is always bad. A wind from the north is good for the stalks of wheat that have already grown grown a third. But it's bad for olive trees that are in the middle of blossoming. The idea is that the north, the north, the wind from the north doesn't give so much rain. So wheat that's already a third of maturity doesn't need so much rain. But the olives that need blossoming need more rain. So the northern wind is a bad sign. The southern wind, with again, which means there's going to be a lot of rain. That's not good for the wheat that's already grown a third. But it's good for the for the olive trees that are blossoming. Because again, the wind from the south is going to be a lot of rain, so it's good for the blossoming olives, but not good for the wheat that are near maturity. Okay. So the Gemara now says, If you want to remember this, if you want to remember which way it is, the table is in the north of the Zara Menorah, but the Menorah is in the south. So it's a great way of remembering what's going on. So the Shulchan had the Lechem upon him, which is made of wheat. The menorah burned olive oil. So the Shulchan and the menorah tells us that the northern winds are good for the wheat. And the menorah in the south tells us that the southern winds are good for the olives. 
And high marbadiyev, high marbadiyev. The shulchan is making its own, and the menorah makes its own. That's the idea, right? The shulchan is making for the table. The north is good for the table, for the for the wheat, and the menorah is making for its own for the olives. So fine. So what do we see from this whole long brisa that it goes against what we said? How are we supposed to be miyashev? What's going on here? The brisa just said that the east is always good wind. The eastern wind is always good, and the western wind is bad. And we said just the opposite before. Before we were saying actually that the eastern wind is bad and the western wind is good. So the Gemara answer is Lokasha, Halan The second price I was talking about for the people living in Bubble. The first price was talking about the people living in Eretz Israel. What's the idea? The western wind brings more rain, the eastern wind is drier. So now we can understand what's going on. If you live in Bavel, so there's more of a moisture in the soil naturally, so a lot of rain is no good. And, um, and, 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 and it, whereas in Eretz Yisrael, we definitely want more rainfall because it doesn't retain the water well, so we want to have more rainfall. So the first price is talking about living with the people living in Eretz Yisrael. So west is good and the eastern wind is bad. Whereas for the people living in Bavo, it comes out mamish the opposite since it's, it's already, the soil is, more, is moist, we don't want so much of abundance of rain and therefore east is good and actually west is bad. Adrenalach Shavasyamim.